0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much he loves us starts right now.
1: Betrayal. Webster defines it like this. To expose to danger by treacherously giving false information to an enemy. He goes on to say to reveal secrets or information or to be disloyal to friends. That's the definition of betrayal. And then I found best-selling author, Sherilyn Kenyon, she writes this quote. She says this, quote, everyone suffers at least one bad betrayal in their lifetime. It's what unites us. The trick is not to let betrayal destroy your trust in others when that happens. Don't let them take that from you, unquote. See, I believe, guys, the quote, from Cheryl is exactly what's going to be illustrated today as we're about, what's about to go down in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. You go, what do you mean? Now, now listen, today, guys, in our study, I wish it was one of that rah, rah, amen, but it's kind of a little like, oh, it's kind of heavy. It's kind of heavy because we're, we're going to see that Jesus, our Jesus, is going to be betrayed by his friend. And we all know what that feels like in our lifetime when we're being betrayed by somebody we love. Jesus is going to be betrayed by his friend, a disciple by the name of Judas Iscariot. But Jesus's ultimate purpose, church, was not to let this destroy the trust in the other disciples in him. As a matter of fact, verse 20 tells them, he's going to say, guys, stay on course, stay on course. He reminds them, keep keep going. That's what he wants to do. Don't let him be, don't be dissuaded. Stay on course. Now, if you haven't been here, let me remind you what we've talked about the last several weeks. We've been focusing on on chapter 13, four and five. Jesus rose from supper and he laid aside his garments. He took a towel, he girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel well, which he girded us now to you and I we go okay you've given us that picture but this is an amazing picture right here this is an amazing picture our Jesus takes the position of a slave for what reason well if you're taking notice to demonstrate love it's to demonstrate love you go what do you mean well Jesus again love is found in serving people there he goes he takes off he puts water and he washes the feet. And love is also found in forgiving each other, forgiving each other. If you were to say the theme of chapter 13, what would be the theme of chapter 13, Pastor Ben? You could write love. It's all about love. And you can see the heart of Jesus in chapter 13. It's all about love. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to feel the weight of what's going on here. Okay? Feel the weight. Just a few hours before Jesus being mocked, being spit upon, his beard being pulled, being beaten, humiliated, and then hung on a cruel Roman cross, his heart was to serve and to love people. That's what his heart was. As a matter of fact, John explains to us in verse 1. He says, now... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, you go, what does that mean? It means that he knows that he was going to die. Oftentimes before he said, my hour's not come, my hour's not come. Now he goes, it's time, it's time. He's, he's about to die, he says, where well, he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He said he loved them to an end. And I thought, what a powerful, powerful example Jesus gives us, loving people to the end. And then I took a step back and I said, if our heart is to follow and mirror our Jesus then we have to ask the question. You go, what's that? Here's the question we need to ask. What does loving people back to life look like? What does it look like? And now based upon our text, guys, let me give you some practical ways that we can love like Jesus to those who are in need. Now, here's the thing we need to understand. First and foremost, we need to understand loving people is easy when you're lovable. It's easy to love, but what are some things that we can do practically to those that that we want to love back to life? Those that are stranded in darkness, those that are, that are, that are, uh, they're not walking with God. They don't see the light yet. How can we love them? Well, the first thing you can do, if you're taking note guys in our text, I see forgiveness, forgiveness. You see, love engulfs forgiveness. And we have to purpose to let go of those things that are holding you captive. Let go of those things. You go, well, Pastor Band, listen, forgiveness is hard. Well, listen, I understand it's a journey, but I think our heart attitude needs to say, I'm going to purpose to do this, Lord. I'm going to purpose to forgive those who have trespassed against me. I know it's hard. I can't do it. I got to do it with you, but I'm going to purpose. I'm going to purpose, God, that, that, that I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive those that are all those who have hurt me. I'm going to purpose to forgive the trespasses as God has forgiven me. Anybody with me on that? Okay, but but I also want you to know, in a more personal way, if God has forgiven you through Jesus, can I just say this? Make sure that you've forgiven yourself. You go, what? Are you going all Dr. Phil on me? No, 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 listen, listen. Make sure you've forgiven yourself. Here's why. When the wrongs we committed cannot be justified, then our our own heart holds us hostage. You, what, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Listen, when the wrongs that we committed, we can't justify. Sometimes in our attitudes, sometimes the things we say, sometimes what we do, what we don't do, we can't justify why we did them. Then what happens is that we never forgive ourselves, do we? And your very own heart holds you captive. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Here it is. Listen, it's one thing to forgive others. A lot of us are really good at that. Yeah, I forgive you, but we never forgive ourselves. And the Lord says, it's time to forgive yourself. Because Jesus has forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself in whom the Son set free is free indeed. It's free indeed. Forgiveness. You go, know, what else? Well, let me give you number two. A practical way we see in the text of how to love people back to life, guys, is to, to serve sacrificially. To serve sacrificially. Why? Because love is demonstrated in Service. Love is demonstrated in service. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Hello. <laughs> That's not natural, is it? Paul says, hey, you need to look at other people and esteem them higher. And I'm going, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. I love me. They're all right you know what, they're okay, they're, they're fine, they're friends, but I got to take care of me. And Paul goes, no, 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 here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be selfish. I don't want you to try and impress others. He says, he says, listen, if you want to be a true follower of Jesus, you need to love others and esteem them higher than yourself. Right? Because love engulfs sacrificial living. Loving people back to life, guys, is demonstrating a sacrificial heart. A heart that truly loves and wants to serve other people. Can I get an amen on that? Now, you're probably asking, well, like how, Pastor? Oh, "Like how? Well, can I just say this? Jot this down. It's as simple as what? As allowing someone to go ahead of you in line. That's all it is. There you are at the grocery store. you got a handful of couple of things, and you're walking into the checkout, and you're definitely there first, but then you see somebody come. Loving people could be as easy as going, go ahead, you go first. Or some of you, when you're in a car right and you're in the you're in the lane right and somebody pulls up and inches away and you go, Should I let him go or should I just not? And then you step on the gas, right, and you don't let him go. Sometimes it's going, Hey, go ahead. Well, Pastor, I'm gonna be late. But see, it's sacrificial. It's as simple as that, is it? Well, if I would do that, then I would just let everybody go. But you guys see the point. It's it's easy as that. Or maybe for you, you're sitting at a restaurant and the Lord knocks on your heart and he says, Hey, I want you to buy their dinner. I say, What? Lord, is that you Lord? I want you to buy their dinner. Well, Lord, they had steak. I didn't have steak, Lord. I, I had chicken. They they had steak. <laughs> ben, will you buy their dinner? Okay, if the waitress does a 360 and then she comes back, I know I know it's you, God, I know it's you. Guys, listen, there's times when the Lord just says, do it, and you do it because you want to love people back to life. You say, hey, listen, you know what? The Lord told me just to buy your dinner. Or how about this? You guys ready? How about it's just asking how your day is? Well, I do that all the time. That's silly. Yeah, but let's be honest. Can we be honest in church? We do that with, with just a quick, how's your day? I don't want to know. How are you doing? Good to see. You. you know, we don't want to take the time to listen. How was your day? Tell me about it. I'm willing to stand for 15 minutes and listen how your day is. Why? Because you're important to me. That's a good way to love people back to life. Why? Because you're saying, listen, I'm sacrificing me because I'm interested in you. I'm interested in you. How are you? How's your day? You know, and they're going to give you the what? They're going to give you the standard answer. Help me, church. How are you? Fine. Good. And then you go. No, really, tell me. How are you doing? Good? Okay, well, now we got to get deeper, right? Now we've got to get deeper. How's it going at work? Or what do you, how's the kids? How are they? Well, Kids, let me tell you about the kids. Oh, my God. And then you can, you guys see the point? You see, that's the word of God. It's Guys, it's, it's asking how their day was. Guys, it can be little things as letting them cut in line, or it could be big things. It could be big things. Maybe the Lord says, hey, I want you to buy their groceries. I want you to buy some food and take it to them. You go, okay, Ben. So you said forgiveness. I got that. Serving sacrificially. What else? Well, guys, if you're taking note, jot this down. Praying. Praying, praying for people is 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 loving like Jesus did. See, there's a lot of people go, "Best pastor, I can't do much in the church, but I can definitely pray." Well, I love that we see an example in Jesus because he prays for his disciples and he prays for us in John 17, right? Pray, oh yeah, pray. And guys, it's easy to pray for those that, that that you love. It's easy for me to pray for Santos. Santos, Lord, lift up Santos and and bless him and Tim and 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 I just pray for Amanda. It's easy. But here's what I want to learn. I want to learn the principle that God wants to share in my heart. You go, what's that? I want to learn to pray for my enemies. And when I say pray for my enemies, I'm not talking about praying like David. Remember what David prayed? Lord, knock their teeth out. Lord, I hope they trip in cactus. That's what I really pray. And let it hurt just enough. Amen. That's, that's not praying for your enemies, okay? Because the Bible says to pray for those who what? Who spitefully use you to curse you, to bless them. When was the last time you bought your enemy a Coke? A guy that you don't like, the girl that you don't. Uh, when was the last time you said, hey, can I buy you a Coke? I know what y'all are thinking. I'd buy them a Coke and I'd shake it up like this and I'd give it to them, there you go, and it'd splatter all in their face. I'm not talking about that. Guys, listen, listen. I, I want to pray for my enemies. I want to bless those who curse me. I want to love the unlovable. This is a bold prayer. Why? Because it's not natural. It's not natural. It's easy to love y'all. It's easy to, oh, come here, sister. Hey, brother, how you doing? It's easy to love. But what about those that are unlovable? You see, here's what I want, and I think this is, if we have the same heart of Jesus, right, and we want to love people back to life, here's what it is. It should be right here. We should want people to see the real Jesus in us. Now, you can jot this down. It's a work in progress, is it not? It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. So these are some practical ways, guys. Even today, you can forgive, you can serve sacrificially, and you can pray. And you know, here's the thing: part of our core values, our values at Calvary Chapel, our core values are love God, love people, live radically. But part of our uh, of, of loving God, guys, is loving people back to life. But I got to be honest with you: the only way we can love people back to life is to help with with is the help of the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill that work. That's the only way, because it's not natural. It has to be help me supernatural. God, help me to love people back to life. Help me to be like you. Oh, the world, church, is going to fade away. All this is all going to be gone. All your comforts and peace. The world is fading faster than we know it. Jesus is coming back. And what's going to matter is you stand before God and said, Lord, I want to just be, I just wanted to mirror you. And I didn't get it right all the time, but I just wanted to mirror you. In all of my relationships, I wanted to mirror you. I wanted to love people back to life. Well, Back in our story, Jesus had just washed the feet, right? Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples, including Judas. He sits down and he asks them a question. And verse 12b, he says to them, do you know what I've done? In reality, guess what? The disciples are still trying to figure that out, right? They're like, I don't know what you did. So Jesus anticipates that and he gives them the answer. He says in verse 15, I've given you an example so that you should do what I've done. Listen, you know you don't get it right now, but here's the example. Here's the example. Do what I do. Well, as we come to our text for today, I want you to note that the mood in the room has changed. Okay, supper was over, foot washing was over. Jesus is hours away from being beaten and hung on a cross in the final process. Now listen, he still has a lot to teach us, but his hour had come, and so Judas begins his journey to destruction. Now here's what I want you to see about Judas. Judas will also go out that night and really not see the light of day. And I don't think Judas understood his betrayal was going to end up in his death. But he starts the process. He starts the process. Now, before we jump into our text, I feel it's important that we need to talk about Judas for just a moment. We need to know who he is. We need to know what's going on with him. We need to know what the scripture says. So, labor with me for just a moment. The first thing we must consider is that Judas was a disciple who walked with Jesus for three plus years. Doesn't that blow your mind? Judas saw all the miracles. Judas saw, I mean, just people being raised back to life. Judas saw all of this. He walked with Jesus as a disciple. Jesus actually prayed and called Judas to be a disciple. Everybody got that? They're like, okay, that's who he is. Now, the one thing we must consider about Judas, now listen to me because this hits home, is Judas really didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Wait, Pastor, what are you saying? That you can walk the Christian walk and not believe that Jesus is the Messiah? That's right. There's a lot of people who have the Christian in name only and not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. There's a lot of people like that. Judas gives us a good example. But pastor, if I recall, Judas, after they arrested Jesus, he he went and changed his mind, right? He threw the money back at the priest. Isn't that the truth? And I said, yeah, here's what you need to understand, okay? Here's what you need to understand. Although he changed his mind about betraying Jesus, doesn't mean he repented from his non-belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Guys, we can change our mind about a lot of behavior, but what God wants us is to, is to have a regenerated heart. Think about this. Judas went back to the chief priests. He threw the money at them. But here's what we don't ever read. We don't ever read that he sought forgiveness from Jesus, the one who could and would forgive him. Could you picture the scene if he was like, oh my goodness, I messed up, oh my. And he went to Jesus and said, Jesus, please forgive me. What do you think Jesus would have done? Of course. Of course. Of course, Judas, come here. Of course. But Judas never did that. Instead, we know that Judas ran out and he hung himself on the tree. What else do we know about Jesus? Well, we know that Judas was from Iscariot. You can jot this down just if you're a Bible student. He was the only disciple not from Galilee. He wasn't a Galilean. He was actually from Judea. He was a town from Kirioth. Kiriath. I found out that Kiriath, and one, I haven't confirmed this, so you can just, um, that Kiriath actually means betrayal. Now, I haven't confirmed it, but I thought one source said that Kiriath means betrayal. I thought that was interesting, right? Judas, the betrayer, is actually from a town called Betrayal. You go, is that true? I don't know. Other people didn't confirm that, but it could be. It could be. That would be wild, right? Judas, We must also know, based upon the word of God, guys, this is important, that Judas was not born for the task of betraying the Messiah. You go, what do you mean? (sighs) Judas was not born just to betray the Messiah. A lot of people go, well, it's called a fatalistic theology. It's a fatalistic pawn. Judas was born. And the reason they get that is because in one of the Gospels, it says, Jesus looks at him and says it was best that that man had never been born. Am I right? So a lot of people go, well, he was simply born to be the traitor. But let me just say this. If you don't know Jesus and you never come to know Jesus, we could say that about your life. If you're going to walk out of this church without a real relationship with Jesus, we can say, oh, man, I wish you'd never been born because I don't like the destiny that you have. You see, Judas, guys, you go, well, why did Judas betray Jesus? Guys, because his heart was evil. Judas' destiny was because of a wicked heart. He was a thief. He had a wicked heart, and his motives were all about greed. Were all about greed. Well, where did Judas end up? Well, most commentators believe he ended up in hell, based upon what Jesus said in John 17. Jesus was praying to the Father, and he mentions Judas. You go, how so? Well, in John 17, 12, he says, Well, I was with them in the world. I kept them in your name, Lord. Those whom you gave me, Jesus said, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. You go, what does perdition mean? Guys, perdition is defined like this. Utter destruction, eternal damnation, a final and irrevocable spiritual ruin, a state of destruction, a state of the wicked one, and finally it's defined as hell itself. What did Jesus say? He goes, God, I've kept every single one of them except one, the one who's in So Judas, guys, betrayed the Lord out of a selfish heart. He didn't repent. He changed his mind through the money at the chief priest, but he never repented. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament book of Zechariah, guys, actually points to Judas. It actually prophesies about him. If you're taking note, you can jot this down. It's Zechariah chapter 11, um, 12 and 13. It says this, Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, if not refrain. So they weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord to me. Throw it to the potter, and at that piercely price they set on me. So I looked at 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. That's what Zechariah says about, about Judas. And you go, well, what happened? Well, jot this down, Matthew 26, 15. And Judas said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus to you? And they counted out how many, church? 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Later on in Matthew 27, 6 and 8 says this, but the chief priest took the silver pieces, and said, it's not lawful for you to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together, and they what? They bought a potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. See, Zechariah prophesied, and it came true here. If you're taking note a little bit more about Judas, it's Psalm 55, verse 12. is actually a picture pointing forward to Judas as the betrayer. The psalmist writes in fifty-five, twelve, and thirteen, it says, It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. Here's some key facts about Judas. If you're taking note, money was important to Judas. You go, how do you know? Remember, John already mentioned he was a thief. He was the treasurer, and he kept taking money out of that for him. He was a thief. I don't know how you could go to the Lord Jesus and say, "Lord, we're out of money," and 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 know that Judas had put in away several for him. I think money was important to him. You go, what else, Pastor Ben? Jesus knew, guys, from the very beginning what Judas Iscariot would do. You need to know that, and we're going to look at that in a few moments in verse twenty-one. We're also told, guys, that. Jesus told us that Judas was not clean. You see, his heart was not regenerated, that he had not been born again. You guys remember he told Peter. Peter's like, no, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me, Lord. Ah." And Jesus said, no, 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 listen. You are completely clean, but not all of you. He says, you're saved, Peter. Don't worry about it. Sometimes you just need a foot washing, but you're saved, but not all of you are saved. Who is he referring to? In the passage in the text, he's referring to Judas. We also learn... Guys, check this out, that the disciples had no idea about Judas's evil thoughts, even though they were with him for three years. That blows my mind. How good did Judas have to be that the other disciples didn't catch on? And then this one breaks my heart. Judas betrays our Jesus with a kiss. And at the same time, Jesus calls him friend friend. That's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. So Let's jump into our text, guys, picking up our story in verse 18. It says, Jesus says, he's speaking. I do not speak concerning all of you. He looks to his disciples. He goes, I know who I've chosen. If you're a highlighter, an underlighter in your Bible, guys, underline that verse. It's very important. Why? He says, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. You go, why is that important? Well, let me give you three things right here. First thing we know coming to verse 18 is the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. We see that in verse two. And here's what we learned. We learned this in discipleship the other night. If you were there, right? You go, what's that? Temptation's not a sin. That's when we act on that Temptation. A lot of us have been tempted, but it's not a sin. It's already been put in Judas' heart. Judas could have just said, Lord, God, there's something going on. I feel like I'm tempted. Please forgive me. He didn't. That's the first thing we see. Number two, we know that Jesus quotes Psalm 41 verse 9, right? Why does he quote Psalm 41 verse 9? He says, to show you that he would be betrayed. He wants to let him know, I know what's going on. And here's what's real important, guys. He says, I know whom I've chosen. Here's the third one. Jesus tells us, I know whom I've chosen. Here's why. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I didn't make any mistakes. I didn't make a mistake. I know who I chose. I know who I chose. And here's what the Lord could be speaking to you right now. God didn't make a mistake with you either. And I know that there are several of us struggling physically and there's some emotional hurts and there's a God didn't make a mistake. He knows who he's chosen. He he knows what's going on. And sometimes we want to picture our Jesus going, oh, Lord, Michael, what happened? I didn't know this was going on. What did you do? Gabriel, get over here. We need to have a meeting. No, no, no. God knows everything that's going on and he's already worked it through. He's already worked it through. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to just trust and obey. Hey, God, I trust you. I don't like what's going on. I trust you. I trust you. So what did Jesus say? He said, I know who I've chosen that the scripture might be fulfilled. You see, Jesus announced, guys, do you remember almost a year earlier uh, that, he announced almost a year before this night in John 60, verse 70, Jesus answered and he says, I have, did I not choose you the 12? And one of you is a devil. So he knew, he knew, he, he, he said it a year earlier so the betrayer is unveiled. Amen? Now look at verse 19. He says, Now I'll tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. If you've got a new King James Bible, you'll see that the he is in italics, which means it wasn't in the original language. So what's he saying? He says, listen, now I'll tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, guys, when you see this, you'll believe that I am. And I love that, why? Because Joshua's singing, The Great I Am. The Great I Am. Is, he's gonna say, I am. Now the writer said, Lord, or the, the translator said, Let's put here, he so said, we know we're talking about Jesus. He says, now listen, I'm just telling you who the betrayer is, so you guys would believe me when it happens. You believe who I am. Now in verse 20, here's what Jesus does: something beautiful, right? Because verse 20 seems to be out of context. He's talking about, I know who I've chosen, I'm telling you this beforehand. And then he comes back, but he does this to remind the disciples, guys, to stay on track. You go, what do you mean? Okay, in the context of verse 1 all the way to verse 20, we've learned about what we would call the internal commission. The internal. You go, what's that? Loving people back to life, right? How so? Through servinghood, serving people, through forgiveness, forgiving people, to walking in holiness. You remember what is walking in holiness? Well, he says that you're clean, but sometimes holiness, you get dirty feet and you need to wash your feet. 1 John one nine. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know that we're saved, but sometimes we just have dirty feet. That's okay. That's walking in holiness. Oh, I got dirty feet. Lord, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Oh, dirty feet, walking in the world again. See, that's, that's walking in holiness. That's the internal commission. Guys, serve each other, love each other, forgive each other, be my great example. That's the internal commission. But Jesus wants to make sure that they understood the external commission, which was what? He said, continue to go into the world. I still have a plan. I still have a mission for you. Look at in verse 20. In verse 20, says, most assuredly or truly, truly, here's the truth. I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. That's the mission. That's the mission, guys. We're going to go out. We're going to go out, right? Jesus says, listen, don't think that what Judas is about to do, don't let it dissuade you from what you're called to do. Don't let what what this is going, this is the mission. He says, whoever receives me, receives the father who sent me. And the only way people can get to heaven is through me. Keep that on focus. Keep that on focus. It's a beautiful verse. The commission stands, boys. Don't worry about Judas. The commission stands. Now, the mood changes in the room. Verse 21. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, here's just a quick point, guys. We know that Jesus was fully God and fully men. And he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Judas would betray him. And even more, think about this. He knew that Judas was going to go out that night and he's not going to really see the light of day that he's going to end up dead as well. He knew that. He knew what this whole betrayal meant. He knew how his disciples might freak out. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all of this. He's known a year ago, he said, one of you's a devil, right? And you go, well, pastor, what's the point? Well, why does it say that he was troubled in spirit? Here's why. Listen, because just because he knew, it didn't soften the blow in his humanity. Just because he knew didn't mean he was like, okay, I'm above this. He's still hurt and he was still broken and he was still sad that his friend was going to betray him and his friend was going to die and his friend was going to spend eternity in hell and it still troubles him today. See, there are times in our lives, guys, when we go, hey, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Do you really want to have a real walk with God? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'll choose my own path. And And it should trouble us because we're going. And it troubles Jesus because he knows. Here's what he knows. He didn't create hell. Guys, he didn't create hell for you. He created for the devil and his angels. And he doesn't want anybody to go there. And it still troubles him in his spirit. It still troubles him in his spirit. And even though he knew, it didn't soften the blow. His humanity... Still suffered. And here's what I love. Here's what I love. The writer of Hebrews tells me in 4.15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But he was tempted in all points. Jesus knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows when I'm crying out. Jesus knows when I'm broken. Jesus knows when I'm lonely. Jesus knows when I'm frustrated. And Jesus knows when I hurt when a loved one goes. He knows these things and he says i can sympathize i know what it's like jesus knows what you're going through right now right now he knows the the he knows the depths of your pain and your loneliness and your sorrow and he says i'm right here with you i got you i got you that's what the writer of hebrews says that's in the word of god guys He was troubled in his spirit. Notice what happens next, verse 22. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Hey, listen, one of you is going to betray me. And they're going, excuse me, what? Now, look at verse 22 real quick. The disciples looked. I want you to see that word, look. If you can circle it, go ahead and circle it. Why? Because I want to see, guys, it's in the imperfect indicative. It's in the, it's, it's, it's in the imperfect indicative. You go, what does that mean? It means it it happened repeatedly, not just once. Jesus just said, one of you is going to betray me. And the guys were like this. What? Who? What? Me? You? What? Who? Again, it wasn't just like, yeah, we know who it is. You know? They didn't know. They're going, who? Really? Kevin, did I hear Jesus say, did did, did you hear what Jesus said? He said someone of us is going to betray us. Now, here's where. Here's where the Gospels fill in the rest, okay? Because all it says is that the disciples were perplexed. But we find out in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verse 22, that the disciples were exceedingly sorrowful. They got really upset. How could, we've been walking with you, Jesus, we're brothers, man, we're united, we have a lot of unity, how could one of our brother, what? What? And then over in guys in Luke's gospel, it says they began to inquire among themselves which 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 of them should who's gonna do what what? Mark says, and they began to say to themselves, Is it I? Is it I? Lord, is it is it me? Now, here's what I want you to see, guys. I love the heart of the disciples. Can we speak truth in church? Can we speak truth? I think if Jesus was around us and 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 basically he said, hey, listen, one of you is going to betray me, I think our hearts are sometimes so righteous that we start looking at somebody else. You know, I never really liked the way that guy was anyway. He was never really right. I bet it's him. I bet it's him. And if it's not him, it's probably the guy next to him, you know? Lord, is it? is it santos you can tell me Lord. no it's tim it's tim that's how we are right let's be honest we always like to point but the disciples are so they walk in such humility because they've they've emulated who christ is that they go could it be me lord could i do that to you lord i i love you but i maybe i could Maybe I'm the one. Lord, is it me? And I love that. Why? Because I think, guys, I think before as Christianity and as Christians, we start, we start drawing lines in the sand saying us and them. We need to realize that we were them. And we start going, oh, Lord, it could be me. If it's not by your grace of God, I'm next. I could be doing this. I could be doing this. I need your Holy Spirit. God, could it be me? There's an old hymn that we sing, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It. Right? To leave the God I love. My heart is prone to, is your heart prone to wander? No, no, I'm a a mature Christian, been serving Jesus 25 years. No, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Church, listen, listen, always be praying, always be praying for God to show you your blind spots. Lord, I can see what's in front of me. I can see, but Lord, my blind spots. Show me my blind spots. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Parents? Parents know what we we prayed those prayers. Show me my blind spots, Lord. Because these kids, I don't know where they're from. I don't know where they're from. Right? Lord, show me my blind spots. So Jesus says, guys, he says, Listen, um, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they're like, Lord, who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Look at verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Don't you just love that? He never mentions himself. But it's John. It's John. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him and asked who it is, to whom have he spoke? Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped it in bread, he gave it to... Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Your attention, please. Let me show you something real quick, okay? One of the things you need to get out of your mind is the Leonardo da Vinci part, the portrait style Last Supper. That's not how it was, okay? Let's say I'm Jesus, okay? when I, If I'm leaning on my side, here's the thing. The place of prominence was always the right hand. That's where Judas is. Judas is about to betray him. Jesus knows that, and he gives him the place of honor. On the left-hand side is John, okay? John is here. Judas is here right? What does the Bible say? Here's what I love about it. It says, now there was leaning on Jesus, okay? So you would lean on one side, and it says that that, that John was leaning on Jesus's bosom, always right there. Now, here's what I find interesting. I think there's some great application for us here, okay? Why? Because we've just learned that John is leaning on Jesus, but when I looked up the word, I found it's in the present infinitive. And You go, what does that mean? Jot this down right? It means that this was a habit of John. John didn't do it once, just at the, upper, at, 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 at the last supper in the upper room. John did it all the time, right? And the rest of us disciples like, John, really? You're going to lean on Jesus? Leave me alone. He was forever leaning on Jesus. He was forever leaning on Jesus. Here's, how I, here's why I believe that John had a heart of love, because he heard the heart of love. And you go, what's the point? Here it is. If John made it a habit to lean on Jesus, in a physical sense, I think in a spiritual sense, we should do the same thing. In my journey in this world, I should always be leaning on Jesus. You go, what does that mean? Jot this down. It means to trust and rely on. To trust and rely on. That's what it means. It means not to take a step until I inquire of God, to trust that he's got my best interest at hand, to really rely on him to take care of stuff, to take care of me. I'm leaning on him. Santos, are you leaning on Jesus today? Are we leaning on Jesus? Baba, are we leaning on Jesus today? Make it a habit, man. Make it a habit where it's just like, oh, he's always leaning on Jesus. Amen. That's what John did. Amen. He's always leaning on Jesus. And I've got to ask this question. What does leaning on Jesus look like in your life? You see, because there's a lot of times where are like, hey, I'm good, I'm good. I got this, Lord. No, 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 I want to be this. And people will come up to you and say, hey, no, you know what? Jesus is nothing but a crutch in your life. And I say, no, he's not. Jesus is not a crutch. He's my ambulance. He's my stretcher. I don't need a crutch. I need an ambulance. That's how bad things are. Because I'm leaning, leaning. You guys remember that that old hymn? That old hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Oh, my goodness. Growing up in church, leaning, leaning, right? Leaning on the everlasting arms. That's how I feel like. Okay, back in our text. Back in our text. Nobody knew it was about to go down, right? Maybe Peter and John were the only one who knew because Peter's like, dude, hey, which one is it? Seriously, it's Judas. Oh, okay. Why? Because look at verse 27 through 30. It says, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. For no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, buy those things that we need for the feast or that he should give some money to the poor. So having received a piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was at night. Your attention, please, for just a moment. Here's what you need to understand. This going on right here is known as a double Passover. Double Passover. On Thursday night, there was a Passover meal for the northern Jews. The northern Jews would come in and have their Passover. On Friday night, the southern Jews would come up, and they'd have their Passover. For Judas to leave just like that, okay, we think in, in our pictures and in, in, in movies and in plays, we see that Satan entered him and we think he gets real evil. We think Judas goes, and he walks out like this, right? And everybody's like, oh, what happened to him? Judas probably walked out, just smiled at people, and they thought, well, oh, he's just going to go buy some food for tomorrow. It's a double Passover. But what I find interesting, guys, is that whoever I dipped the bread in, bread was often a type of fellowship. Whenever you uh, had a meal together, you were being intimate. It was it was a, it was a great type of fellowship. And so he hands the, the bread to Judas. Judas gets up and he leaves. And the guys have no clue. They're like, well, I guess he's going to go give money for the poor. Because he always did that. That's what Judas always did. That's what Judas always did. And so Judas leaves, having the piece of bread, Satan in him. You know where he's going. He's going to the chief priest. And he went out immediately, and it was night, and it was night. Guys, as we close our study today, Judas is on the way out to take care of business, right? He's taking care of his business. I love what Jesus says. Jesus will now turn, and he'll focus the remaining hours to pour into our lives, his word and his truth. Now, before you put your Bibles away, don't put them away, okay? Because I'm going to give you four things that we've learned today. Four things, okay? Number one, Jesus still reminds you and I that we're still part of the Great Commission. And here's what I want you to see. Regardless of what's going around you, what's going on around you, stay the course. Stay the course. Here's what I'm going to tell you guys. Listen, as believers, please finish well. There's a lot of stuff happening around you the world is falling apart, you don't know what your job's going to do tomorrow, you don't know how things are, what what the Lord says is stay the course, stay the course. You go, what course? Ben, what is it? What's the commission? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. Guys, what does he say? I'm going to tell you, stay the course. Stay the course. The world's falling apart. Stay the course. Finish well. I think in heaven, guys, there's going to be people. When we get to heaven, there's going to be people that you thought they would never be here. They lived a horrible life. And then there's going to be people who you think, well, we're so-and-so and they're not here because they didn't stay the course. Stay the course, the Great Commission. Don't worry. Don't look to the right or to the left. Stay the course. The second thing we learned, we learned about Judas. Judas went to great lengths to deceive the disciples into thinking, into them thinking that he was a disciple. He went to great lengths. They didn't know the difference. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Here it is. Listen, don't be surprised when other people around you are not real true followers of Jesus. They want to hang out. They may say Christian things, but at the end of the day, they might be a Judas. Don't let that trip you up. Your walk, listen to me, your walk is not dependent on somebody else. Your walk needs to be dependent on you and God, you and God, you and God. What's the third thing we learned, Pastor? You guys ready? When life gets rough, can I get an amen? Or when life is smooth sailing, keep leaning on Jesus for direction and purpose. Sometimes, guys, we're at the top of the mountain. We're like, "Yes, God is awesome." Keep leaning on Jesus. And sometimes we're in the valley, and we're like, God, "God, God's awesome." Keep leaning on Jesus. Make it a habit. Just lean on Him. God, I need direction. I need purpose. Keep relying on Him to take you where you need to go. Pastor Ben, what if it, what if what if I end up in the grave? You win. You win. We don't win because we lose you. You win. And I'll tell you what, because you'll be there waiting for us going, this is awesome. If I would have known how awesome it was, I'd have come here sooner. But all in God's time, amen? Last thing. Last thing, guys. Could you love people back to life in very practical ways? Could you do that? You go like what? Well, today, when you go out to eat after church or Or you go to the grocery store, you do whatever. Would you just smile at somebody? Would you just offer somebody a smile? Man, sometimes that's all they need. Would you go to the person and say, I'm so sorry you had to work today. I know you probably wanted to spend it with your family. I'm so sorry. Would you offer an encouraging word to somebody? encouraging. What's an encouraging word? Would you look at your your children today and just say, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the person that you've become. I'm proud of the mama that you've become. I'm proud of the. Could you just encourage somebody? Guys, we need to be in a habit of encouraging people when they do good things. When they go above and beyond, customers say, wow, thank you. Thank you. An encouraging word goes a long way. Or how about this? How about we pray, but really pray? You know what I'm talking about? See, You see, Senator John McCain died last night, and a lot of Facebook said, we're praying for John McCain's family, and we should. But let's not just say that because we jump on the bandwagon, but let's literally Pray. For his family, because no matter what he did or who he was, somebody lost a grandpa, a dad, a brother, a friend. Let's not just say, I'm praying for you. Let's really pray for people. You go, what else, Pastor Ben? Last one, guys. How about simply fellowship? How about simply fellowship? Fellowship. How about how about taking somebody to coffee and saying, listen, let me buy you a cup of coffee. You can even have a donut too. Because I just want to get to know who you are. And nothing, well, what do you want to do? What did you hear? I didn't hear anything. I just love you, man. And I just want to know what's going on in your life. I just want to know what's going on in your life. Tell me. I'm not here to spread gossip. I just want to fellowship with you. And I want to encourage you in your walk with God. That's loving people back to life. If I could have just 30 seconds of your time, I never want to leave, I never want to leave a a Bible study without giving you an opportunity to surrender to God. If you're here today, and man, the Lord's been touching your heart, and, and honestly, you're sitting here and you're going, Pastor, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God, and you said some things in the Word, you talked about Judas, Judas... Judas didn't, uh, Lord, that really, that, really, that really tripped me, man. That really got to me. That hit me to my core. And God is speaking to you. And maybe today is your day where you say, Pastor, I really want to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to ask that we turn down the lights. If you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with God, but you want to be, Can I just say that you're one decision away from coming to know Jesus in a real and personal way? What do I have to do, Pastor? Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand. Why do I have to lift up my hand? Because I want God to see your heart. If you lift up your hand, you're saying, Pastor Ben, I want Jesus once and for all, forever. God bless you over here, buddy. Good move. Anybody else saying, I want to be right with God, just lift up your hand. I'll lead you in a prayer. God bless you in the back over there. I see you. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You're saying, Ben, I'm not right. I don't know. I just want Jesus. I just want to be made right. Those of you who have lifted their hands, will you just pray this prayer? Will you just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to do things right now. I don't want to be a Judas. I want to believe in you. I believe in you. I want to follow you. I want to lean on you. I believe that you died. God, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe. Lord, that you resurrected and, and Lord, you're coming back for me. I believe that right now, God, I'm going to be born again. And I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God.